Welcome to Real Talk, Real Women. Here is Susan Tusson McNeil. For, for more than 20 years, Susan has helped women over 50 to rediscover life purpose, reconnect with creative expression and well being. She is a self care expressive arts coach and online play shop facilitator. Her online programs for women are highly experiential, fun, insightful, and life-changing experiences. She is also passionate about storytelling, performances, and often showcases her work to assist other women. Her business is called Wisdom Quest Arts and Coaching. Welcome, Suzanne. Thank you so, so much for being here today. It's really an honor. Thank you, Gemma. It's truly my honor to be here as well. I really appreciate this opportunity to share with the women in the audience. Thank you. All right, so let's just start with your story. So if you can just run us through big life events that shaped who you have become today so that we can talk today about healing from self-blame with self-love. So what happens that could generate self-blame? I don't know. Well, the self-blame, the roots of it started in childhood and it was with my dad. And first off, my dad and I were best friends up until around age 11 when everything changed. And, and just to give you an idea, we were, he was an artist and we had easels side by side and he took our family traveling every summer to the parks, the state parks, the national parks. So he introduced me to the love for nature, which I still have. But at 11, as I mentioned, we would find out years later, he would get a bipolar diagnosis. It was manic depressive, that's what they called it at that time. But all I knew is that he had become filled with rage and then he became violent and he directed much of it towards me and then told me I could no longer speak in my own home. As a result, I just didn't want to be in my body. I would check out with whatever from drugs, alcohol, an eating disorder, and then later sex, because I didn't want to feel the pain in my body. And all along my mother was blaming me. She kept telling me it was all my fault that I had brought this on, the, the relationship I was having with my dad. So I think that was the beginning of going, yes, this is my fault and internalizing my dad as a harsh inner critic. So sort of, he just moved in. And so then no matter if your dad were here or not, you kept on hearing all those self-blame actually as if it were you in your own mind. Absolutely. And then years later, I attracted my first very, toxic uh, relationship. It was only, this one was only one night, but it was a friend of mine had introduced me to a coworker and thought I would enjoy going out with him. And so we went on a date out to dinner and then he asked me to go to his place. 
because his friends were coming over. He wanted me to meet them. So I thought, sure, why not? So I go, go there. The friends are there. And so are the cocaine lines. And everybody's getting high. And But then they leave. And then I get up to leave as well. And he's much taller than me. And he barricades the door, drags me into his bedroom, and I'm raped. So it's hours. I finally get away from him. And I go back to my apartment. I confront my roommate. And she's shocked. And she's, you know, giving me a hug and, and all of that. But she's also saying, well, you don't want to report this. because." you'll just be embarrassed. I mean, you went to his place. And the self-blame, the inner critic, that whole concept, that whole, it, it just, that's how I reacted. I said, you're right. This is my fault. I should never have done that. It's just horrific how when meaning friends can just keep you deeper in the silence, in the self-blame, in the victimhood, and guilty as well. It's like, what is that? Yes. It's just so, awful. So I, over time, attracted other toxic relationships I didn't know at that time how to break out of them. But one of my turning points was in my late 20s. Um, I actually married a toxic relationship, <laughs> my first husband. And unbeknownst to me, because I think I had blinders on, he was a compulsive gambler. And there's so much that went on one example would be one day I saw him putting my camera and a beautiful diamond emerald necklace that his mother had brought to a jeweler to have made for me for the wedding. He's putting all of this in a bag. And I'm thinking, what, what's going on here? And then, but I don't question. I mean, I don't go to him and say, give me my stuff. What's going on? And then I come home from work that day and the TV and the stereo are missing. So it turns out that he was going to a pawn shop to get money for gambling. And finally, I, I forced the issue and, and found out what was going on. But over time, it was apparent he, he was at one point going to five meetings a week of the Gammonon, which is a support group. It's a 12-step support group. But even though he was going to the meetings, I found out later he was still actively gambling. He was just doing that for me so that, so that he looked like he was. And I was willing to live with him if he was in recovery, but he wasn't ready yet for that. So the, the turning point, as I mentioned, is 
that I had told him that if he crossed the line, that that I would that we would get a divorce because I refused to live with someone that wasn't really in willing to be in recovery and whatever that would take. Because there was a lot I had to deal with still because compulsive gamblers can't have money. They can't ha have any money. <laughs> it's just like handing, handing an alcoholic a drink. So that's a lot, a lot to, to deal with. But he crossed the line. Can I ask you a question? Sure. Did you blame yourself for his gambling? Well, I blamed myself for not knowing, for, for kind of having blinders on. So I, I um, just blamed myself for looking the other way. And also, because I found out that, because he would put together really big financial deals. That was part of it. That was his work. Well, on the side, he was putting together a lot of false financial deals. And I found out my family, he didn't tell me that he got them involved and, and they lost a lot of money, siblings. And so this was something I really blamed myself for, for getting them involved for, through the association of marrying him. But what helped me so much was going to Gaminon, which is a support group, the 12 step support group. And I'm actually grateful that I did marry him, that all of this happened because when I initially went to Gaminon, it was to save him. I felt, and, and there's, you know, the, the blame with the guilt or everything that I was feeling, I, I felt, well, at least I can do this and help him. And after they say do 90 days, go to 90 programs in 90 days. And I learned through that, that I needed help. That <laughs> it wasn't just about him. There was something about the blame was about me pointing fingers at myself, but it was also pointing fingers at everybody else. And yes, the blame is, 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 the blame is really like, the, the blame really, keeps you in the victim at the victim level either you are the victim or the other is victim or you are victim or the other or the other is victim of gambling or whatever it is and it really keeps you at this level of stuckness where even if it is the fault of i don't know the weather or i don't know what it's like there is no responsibility and only when you take responsibility so that you can change something, you release the blame and you say, all right, I cannot change what has been, I can change what is now and what will be. That's, and that's absolutely right. It's the word responsibility. And it was around me taking responsibility for myself, which is self-love starting to really blossom and having that support, the 12 step community really opened my eyes, took the blinders off, you know, that I'd been wearing. And, and I was able, I asked for that divorce. I got the divorce. And that was a very strong move 
in which in which was about self-love that I no longer needed this in in my life that I could go on and and I went on to go back to college which was incredible when I originally married him believing because I was going to be I was going to college and he had all this money and there was this whole thing there too this illusion that I was in but the the good news is now I went back to school full-time while I was working full-time and I ended up sending myself to college but that was a much better thing that was the bit capital R responsibility all about self-love and I graduated with honors in speech communication oh congratulations I mean that's amazing yeah during that time so that, so, that was so empowering because it's also about confidence it is to, look, to release self-blame what what age were you when you gave, you went back to college and you divorced that person my i was um right about 29 30, 30 so it was my 30s that i went back to college the first okay. few years okay. wow okay yeah so that so yeah. big question is so what i do understand from your story is that during these 90 days of 12 step program to recover from gambling this is when you started your personal development journey your healing journey your transformation journey to start to realize what was going on is there a, a, a word, a saying, an idea, or something that clicked you in your mind from, I'm just going to go there to help him to, oh God, I need help? Well, there's something, this, I'm looking at your name, Gemma Serenity, the Serenity Prayer, and it's something that I say every morning. Do you want me to, to say it right now? Okay, God grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Wow, I think we all shall write it down and use it every single day. Yeah, it's so powerful. It's, it's, what, it's a guiding light for me still today. So to go from self-blame to self-love, which is really like polar opposites, which is really from guilt to freedom. There is a lot of forgiveness that goes in the process. Mm -hmm. How did you, how can you help the listener understands the listener who is blaming himself or herself so bad and here like yeah it's a nice idea but forget it I mean it's so I, I should have never done this or that or I should have never decided this or that because all the rest is consequences of my decision at that time so I'm I'm to blame or I'm fully responsible, but more in the sense of I'm to blame. What would you tell that person? Well, what I would suggest, there's a couple things that I did 
I also was started getting therapy and that, you know, that was really supportive for me and the, and, and the arts, arts therapy. So these are some concepts that I started working with and I help clients with now and inner critic work is really powerful and actually drawing the inner critic and writing what it typically says and keeping that nearby to remember is this real is this true or is this my inner critic talking because the inner critic is usually stuff we would never say to anybody else so we want to be we want to extend that the compassion and kindness that we give to other people to ourselves the fit forgiveness really needs to start with ourselves and that's the self love so i did a lot of work with understanding the inner critic and when i work with people like i like to we do simple but playful things around it like okay i'm noticing that first cousin of your your gremlin i think it's the comparison gremlin and because especially around doing art and, and this is art for healing so it's not about doing things to hang on the wall but people still sometimes they they show up and they think her art looks better than mine so I don't want to share and I just say send your gremlin off you can put them in an uber send it to the airport on a nice long trip or or a walk or a hike but just give yourself a break so those are some of the things the inner critic do, just really getting more in touch and making it maybe sort of a playful thing and I, Elizabeth Gilbert in this book, Big Magic, it's a really great book on helping reconnect with one's creativity and expression. And she talks about, it's like being in a car and this inner critic, if we allow it, it would like to drive our car <laughs> and have us be the passenger. But we are at liberty. We have the control to ask it, or put it in the back seat. So we're driving. It's not that it's going to go away. We all have, I think everyone can relate. We all have this in some form or another, but it's our responsibility, which will help with self-blame when we put it into the back seat. So the, the inner critic work, and um, there's one more, if you would like me to share this is uh, working with the personalities. We all have many personalities. And I, I think that can be playful too, is naming. Like I have a couple, one of them's Distractable Diane. One of them is Desperate Dora. These are a couple of the personalities. But I also have Divine Diva. You know, so na naming them, uh, drawing them, writing about them, giving them a little bio maybe to get more in touch with these aspects of our personality. Like for me, distractible Diane is, I might be, you know, focused on something, but you know, something, or I, I hear the phone, it, it's another text, whatever, and I've got to grab the phone. It's just things that continually might distract me. So that I'm like, there's Diane again. And, and so just becoming more aware or the desperate Dora is, an old part of me that still might play out 
And she just, you know, wants a lot of attention. And she'll be, you know, she'll be looking around the room and, oh, um, no one's talking to me. And, you know, I, no, one, no one's asking me anything, whatever. She's, she's got this thing about her coming from the childhood, like I mentioned, it was a very silent childhood. So this, this might show up. So just doing this sort of playful way of, because everything I like to do has a little playful bend to it. Because I think it just makes it more palatable, more fun for people to deal with, but to go deep and deal with serious stuff. But we, we, we do it in a way that's loving and, and compassionate and also, yeah, also has a little bit of fun to it, this like exploration. But I think, I think that these kind of exercises really help us to get more in touch, more aware of ourselves and just more, more forgiving by understanding these parts of ourselves and knowing they're only parts. Again, we don't need to allow them to run. And if it looks like one's become the board of directors, running the president of board of directors, we can give them a new title and, and some other helping role, but not have that younger version of us, the teen that's, that's angry or whatever, running, running the show. It's so powerful. This is indeed one of the way I used a so to cope and to and to heal over time. When you personalize this dysfunctional learned behavior that you gathered over your lifetime, and especially in your young years, it's like then you can say, you know what? Maybe I cannot get rid of you fully, but I can indeed ask you to play farther away. Um, maybe put some muffled over your voice, or maybe distract you doing something else so that I can focus on my thing. <laughs> Things like that. It's very powerful way to dissociate from the pain, the inner critique, the desperation. The, the depression and other things like that. That's very, very good tool. And I wanted to just mention um, and another thing is there were other things that were helping me. And a couple of the things were that I became a runner when I was in my early 20s. So even though I wasn't yet at the 12 step program, it's a compilation of many things. And I think that is what started my confidence. I lost 30 pounds over time. And I just felt some, I was starting to feel better and better about myself, feeling really healthy. I was in a community of the, of the runners as well. So I still had things to learn, you know, with the toxic relationships I was still attracting, but I was, it was like a seed that had planted and I, you know, I was becoming more confident at that time and I started yoga. So I want to just definitely share yoga 
has been incredible in my life and about with the self-love going from self-blame to self-love because it's been a journey of going inside and I thought it was just going to be stretching when I started (laughs) for my running program but it really um, is something that helped me to quiet down my mind all the thoughts and that created more of a space for forgiveness and to release more and more of the self-blame. Indeed, because yoga is all about the breath, all about life. And the good news is that anybody can do yoga because even just lying down on your back is a yoga pose. Even that is a yoga pose. When you become really conscious of yourself, conscious of your body, aware, like it's it's mindfulness in action. Yes, absolutely. That's the shavasana. So just, yeah, it's what all poses lead to. It's just the relaxation. Yeah, and there's so many different types of yoga too. I prefer more of a gentle yoga and I find that that, is, that just suits the best. Um, that seems to be the best one for calming. And because I, I do have anxiety and I continually to do practices and where I work with a somatic therapist, I just wanted to share because it's, it's common to have anxiety when one has been in trauma. So the somatic therapy and doing things like yoga are just absolutely, I can't tell you how much they make a difference because the recovery is an ongoing process. That's one thing I've learned. So it's not like, okay, I'm done. No more self-blame. It's over. It's, it's continually being diligent. While at the same time, the self-love is continuing to love myself when I make a little back step and forgiving myself for those little times where I might not be completely coming from the space that I want to come from, loving myself as much as I would like to come from in that moment. Oh, one of the things that also helped me a lot to heal from self-blame because I also had that a lot sometimes I still do, is uh, the EFT, the emotional freedom technique, this tapping solution. While really consciously choosing the words that you disanchor and the other words that you do anchor, even if it is exactly the same movement. And that is what has really helped me release the emotional weight of self-blame and allowing myself to still be good enough, still be okay, still be lovable and loved, even though I missed a deadline, I did something wrong. I just did not follow through whatever I was um, telling myself that I would. And the biggest part was uh, the decision I made when I was 18 years old to go in a relationship stop my studies and start a family with someone who was completely mentally and physically ill, irreversibly with behavioral disorder and many more, and making that man the father of my first child. 
And for me, that was the worst decision I have ever made. And I was, I kept on blaming myself for at least two decades because of that decision. However, during the healing process, I realized that I didn't know any better. I didn't know that that mental disorder could come on the child, the, 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 the child I, I was bearing. I didn't know that this sick man would sexually abuse and rape my own son. So father and son, it's, it's like that was unthinkable for me. So blaming myself two decades later for a decision I made was like when I was like 17 and a half, like 18 years old, I realized that that version of me did the best she could with what she knew and what she believed to be true and that she had no idea about the consequences of her choice at that moment in time. So blaming, self-blaming, blame a, a, a 23 years old younger version of myself was like, why do you do that to yourself? And the fact of self-blaming so long over the years was breaking every single endeavor I was experiencing in my life, every project, because of that constant self-blame that was in the background, not even consciously, but constant. And when we started to really like try to figure out why do you blow up in anger with so so unpredictably suddenly just like the trigger and then just like go with so much blame because the trigger when we were touching where it hurt was that I was blaming the author, the trigger person, which is my third last and wonderful husband. And he really went through a lot of, of hardship with me because I was on my healing journey and just lashing out at him, even if I love him more than everything and anyone. And understanding that that was because I was blaming myself first. Therefore, this was the only thing that was true to me. Therefore, it could only be that as a truth for others, especially the one I love. Realizing that, this is when I dropped it and I stopped it and I said, okay, that's too much. I stop it. I take responsibility that I didn't know any better at that time. Yes. I release and I starting the tapping technique with all this tapping, uh, very gentle tapping on all the meridians, like emotional freedom technique, EFT or tapping solutions. I mean, look at it on YouTube. There are many, many, many uh, experts in that. And it's truly powerful. Within one week, the level, the weight of emotional distress I was feeling completely diminished to a zero point. Now, I also realize that we have to stay consistent in that release work so that it does not build up again. <laughs> because we are not exempt of it, but we can really release the weight, the emotional suffering. Wow, I'm just so touched by, 
your story is so powerful, what you've overcome. And, and the tapping, you just reminded me because it's something I've been wanting to get back to. I had a therapist work with me. I, I one time was in a drive-by shooting, which is, and that is what she used, worked with me to help me to get through that particular trauma at that time. And what you said earlier about um, no longer blaming yourself, that is such a key. I can so relate because that's where I reached a point as well is just loving that it's like the inner child work and just loving that the different ages of me, the teenager particularly. <laughs> So just no, no longer blaming myself for poor choices that I had made in the past. And also extending that to my parents. They were doing the best they could at that time. I did the best. And even the toxic relationships, they were doing their best. And that's, I found anyway, the most challenging to reach that point of just, okay, extending them the love and compassion as well because we're all really given our backgrounds and, and work that we've done on ourselves, we're, we're where we're at, but there's always, yeah, hope and inspiration for reaching a higher place. And because in my life, um, I'm now married almost 22 years to my best friend. So that is, uh, for me, a testimony that it's all possible. Thank God, I'm so happy and grateful for you that you found the love of your life, a real good person who supports you, who loves you, who respects you, who uplifts you, who really teaches you everything about healthy relationship. Yeah, he's a very solid man. And, and we actually got married on the top of Mount Whitney, 14,495 <laughs> feet high. <laughs> <laughs> with this very small wedding party <laughs> and an athletic minister at the time. All right, Suzanne, I'm going to invite you again. We're going to continue this conversation because it's so deep, so real and making sure that our listeners can understand and hear the depth of the work we do together, we do individually in group. Thank you, Jim. I look forward to that. Absolutely. And um, in the description of this episode, there is everything to reach out to Suzanne Toussaint McNeil. And it's basically her name.com. So just go for it. And uh, you have everything in the description, all the links and all that you want to know about her. All right. Okay, Suzanne, I'm going to invite you again. Talk to you later. Okay, great. Thank you.